Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, this is Jessie Too. And I'm Helen Stebbeck. And you're listening to another episode of Asian Bitches Down Under. Hello, fellow listeners. Uh, thanks again for joining us on our podcast where we discuss uh, feminism issues and somewhat uh, express our personal rants. So, oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so with the second wave in Victoria, um, unfortunately, there is, uh, what, 484 cases reported in the last 24 hours. And now yeah. we're looking at the possible returning well actually a very confirmed returning to a, like tighter restrictions in New South Wales mm. um, yeah. so how has your week been Jesse? it's been mostly very productive um, I've been consuming less and <laughs> consuming less and uh, writing more yeah that's good I've just f- that is yeah, productive more- that is very productive well, I am someone who just can't not create like and I realized I've been listening a lot to Garth Greenwell and I'm kind of made I've kind of made him my god like mm-hmm. he is or like my Jesus. Mm-hmm. So he Garth Greenwell is a um American gay writer from he grew up in Kentucky, he spent a number of years in Bulgaria and he's penned um two books of fiction mm-hmm. and that are kind of like mem- um based on his own experience loosely in Bulgaria when he was a teacher. And he writes a lot about gay sex and he does it very poignantly. And he is just, when I listen to him talk about queer aesthetics and queer beatitude, I'm just like the language in which he uses to describe what it means to be queer in the arts is so monumentally. It's just changing the way I see the world and my place in it as a writer it's just I don't even know how to begin describing how amazing this whole shift in my heart and in my head has felt like in the last week. So um, that's who I've been really obsessed about. And I know, um, Helen, you you know, I've been talking to you about mm-hmm. how amazing Garth Greenwell is mm-hmm. in the last week or so. Yep. But, um, yeah, I, he says something that reminds me that, like, the reason why I feel like I can never work um, for an employer, like, like, in a corporate context, because I just never, like, I'm someone who just doesn't like being told what to do. I don't like my horizons drawn out for me. Mm-hmm. I have to create. I have to work on my own terms. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I've been working on a short story and it's been very, very, very um, nourishing for me. Okay. How about you? What yeah, have you been that's doing? Ex- that, that's excellent. Yeah, looking forward to see your short uh, story. Um, I would just want to recommend uh, two movies and one podcast that I've been going through the past weeks. Uh, firstly, the t- <clears throat> excuse me, Tiny's podcast. So it's called Metalhead Politics. Um, it's host by Emily Wu, the founder of uh, Ghost Island Media. This is um, in Taiwan, and Freddie Lim. Freddie is the lead singer of uh, Chthonic. Um It's actually a heavy metal band, and he's also a legislator slash congressman in Taiwan. In Taiwan yeah. That's so cool. So That's he, he so started cool. his career as like a heavy metal band Lee singer. But in mm. the past five years, he actually um, kind of branched out into politics. And their launch episode was about democracy in Taiwan. And the second one episode was about systematic oppression. Um, it's absolutely worth listening to it, particularly for the people who are like my husband and kids who don't really this, you know, speak in the language Mandarin. 
Um, mm. They can get an idea through this English podcast. For those who are not familiar with Taiwanese politics, uh, the podcast is gentle and it's a very good starting point to um, get an idea of you know the history background. Um, whereas yeah. Taiwan has been you know somewhat volatile in their political system, you know from the civil mm, war in China absolutely. during yeah. the early forties, and then the co- uh, Japanese yeah the Japanese uh, occupation, mm. and the later with the Kuomintang, you know the Nationalist Party mm. in Taiwan, and then during the sixties and the seventies, I think, and the you know the rising consciousness of democracy. Um, mm-hmm. combined with the establishment of DPP, which is a Democratic Progress Party. And I'm seeing that the last 10 years, finally some you know smaller parties with, with diversified voices. So mm-hmm. I'm guessing Taiwan has been progressive in both economically and pushing more agendas in the discussion of human rights. Highly recommend the podcast. So it's called Metalhead Politics. However, if you're not a fan of heavy metal music, which Freddie will be kind of sharing during the podcast, you know, just skip it or fast forward. Mm. The films I would like to share <laughs> this week. First one, it's called Only Yesterday. It's a Japanese Miyazaki animation. <laughs> the mm-hmm. one that we used to call the period movie. Do you remember? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there's a reason we call it the period movie. Yeah. So it's like a coming to an age movie. Uh, it follows through. Well, it's it's like a reflection of a like a young woman who's in her late twenties, and then she's thinking back about her year, her childhood, her childhood in her fifth grade, the first experience of eating a like a pineapple. Because in mm. Japan, you know, during that time, I think it's during the eighties, they don't really have pineapple as a tropical fruit in Japan. And my favorite bit was actually how she interact with the boy that who had a crush oh. on her. Oh, it's so beautiful when they're uh-huh. in the alleyway. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. then he asks her, "What's your favorite um kind of weather? Sunny, uh-huh. rainy, or cloudy?" And then she says, "Cloudy" or something. Uh, yeah, he goes, oh, "I oh, love me that too." Scene. Yeah, it's just like yeah. that little joyful moment where two young kids find like common, like common interest, you know. And I, I don't know. It's just so pure. Like you don't see it in know, adult yeah. because there's so much complicated issues within adults to establish a relationship. But whereas, oh my god, tell me about it. <laughs> whereas in kids, they're just very pure, innocent. And, yeah, in innocent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I also my favorite scene is um, there are so many scenes. Um, if you haven't seen it, can you tell us the name of it again, Hell? Uh, it's called Only Yesterday. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, you really need to see it. Like, and this is coming from someone who does not like animation. I do not like animation, but I love this film so much. And the reason why Helen and I call it, and my brothers and um, <laughs> sisters call it the period movie, we're we're not talking about like a period drama. We're talking about like the men- menstruation of a young girl mm-hmm. because there's a scene where the protagonist. Um, there she is uh, in gym class at school, year five, and then the there's a. Uh, classmate of hers who lies to the gym teacher and says I'm like sick or something Mm -hmm. but actually she just can't do sports because she's got her period Mm -hmm. and somehow we've just like made it into a we've called it the period movie (laughs) Um, but I love the relationship she has with her sister who's kind of like she's she's got an older sister older sister's a bit cooler she's like a bit mean Um, there's this one scene where the sister or the mother I don't remember but she shames the protagonist for not being able to do fractions I 
love yeah. that scene uh, because divisions yeah. and the yeah division and older sisters was like talking to the mom in the kitchen saying mm. that mm-hmm. why she doesn't know this you know isn't like up mm. to her level her her age by her age she should be knowing that how to do this kind of calculations yeah yeah yep, fractions yeah and the mom suddenly just blurted out something like because she's not normal she's, yeah or she's dumb or something yeah yeah, yeah. And then the way in which the, the the animation shows the protagonist's face, it was so, it just struck my heart because I remember that was me. Like I never got fractions as a kid at New Year 7, in Year 6 or Year 5. And I always felt like there was something wrong with me because I was an Asian and I wasn't good at math. And then there's this idea that Asians are all good at math and I hate that stereotype. Yeah, I hate it It's too. so wounding. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's one, there's also one particular scene I love um, – Oh, it's just, it's, so the protagonist at one stage, um, she loves theatre and she performs in a school play where a prominent person from outside of town actually comes to her house and sort of encourages her to sign up to some sort of acting school or uh, gives her a gig. I think something um, like that. it's a university student who's asking her if she would like to join one of their performance because they will require, right. yep. one of the character okay. in their performance is suitable for her age. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. And then their, her, her parents um, outwardly rejected. Mm-hmm. And it's so devastating because I see that myself, the way in which my interests in creative writing were suppressed by my parents at, at a young age because mm-hmm. they were thought it was just useless and unproductive. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was very sad. There was just so many sad moments about this seemingly ordinary Japanese girl and her life growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, that I just I found so heartening because I saw myself in her so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think is that why you loved it. I remember watching it the first time when I was like in my twenties or maybe late teen, and then this is the second time I watched it. I watched it with my daughter who's seven. Oh wow! What does she think? She I thought it was really funny. Like, um, <laughs> yeah. Because she's trying to get an idea of why this young woman's thinking back about her childhood. And I think because she's probably not mature enough to make the connection of Mm. how your childhood would affect you a lot into your adulthood. Because, you know, towards the end of the movie, we see how she struggles to make sense of her life next, like, forward. Because, you know, how the other adults around her saying that, oh... Maybe you should just get married, and uh, she's yeah, trying to figure you're like it 28 out. Now. Yeah, yeah. She's trying to to figure out where she should be going and things like that. Whether or not she should be mm. staying in city or she should be going to the country, moving to the farm. Yeah, she actually yeah. enjoying the farm life. Um, but it's really it's kind of devastating in in a lot of scenes in the movie, particularly where she was like, remember that she had a like slap across the face when she was throwing a tantrum. I was just about to mention that yeah. because that was um, so upsetting. I cry every time I yeah that I, that scene because like I my parents slapped my mum slapped me in the face or she like abused me my body several times when yeah. I was growing up and it's so like visceral those those things don't leave you ever mm-hmm. yeah i don't know i don't know why any parent would i wouldn't yeah i just cannot imagine ever physically injuring my own child mm. i don't i don't understand it i think they were growing up because this movie was made in the 80s and we're looking back in her childhood almost like it would be during the 70s mm. we're talking about like a generation who probably have lack of 
verbal communication, and particularly, of course, Asians. Again,、mm. we have very little、um, language. Yeah, very little language to convey、mm. to each other about love and discipline, and yeah, yeah. Direct form or discipline will be like very physical. Just physical, yeah, just yeah. physical. Oh、yeah. God, I hate that. I hate that. So hard to watch. But that it's、thing. also, it's yeah, it's also understandable. Like I understand where mum came from.、Mm-hmm. Dad never hit me. It was all mum.、Mm. <laughs> anyway, the second film that I want to share to everyone is、uh, Father to Son. So this film is、mm-hmm. showing online again.、Um, I've as I mentioned last week, the Taiwan Film Festival. Um, mm-hmm. So last week I've been binging on some Chinese films, but this week I've only had a little time to go through. So this is the only film that I've watched、um, in the festival. It's kind of reminding me the film that we watched a couple of weeks ago, Tiger Tail. Oh, okay, yeah. It's a reflection of, uh, like a like the father figure reflecting on his. Last generation, how his dad treated him and left his family.、Mm-hmm. Well, there's a,、mm-hmm. it's a different level of the story, but he's finding out like now he's in his sixties, finding out that he's like got like possibly pancreatic cancer, and、mm. what kind of things that he want to leave his son. Yeah, is the son in? Did the son go into prison or some at some stage? No, no. Oh, okay. I'm thinking of another movie. So the protagonist、okay. is like,、uh, um, he's an electrician slash innovator in this little like township in Taiwan,、mm-hmm. and he never left the place because didn't really say any reason that because he、mm-hmm. he just started a family and he had a child and because、mm-hmm. so compared to his dad, his dad left. He's like his own family, but whereas the protagonist、mm-hmm. um, Van, he didn't. So、mm. later, when his own son found out that his granddad left because he wanted to explore the world, he asked his dad whether or not that he would choose the same path.、Mm. Because the son was asking him that, I I know one night you were trying to leave, but then you came back.、Mm. Well, the father told him that oh, because something like I think he said that oh, because um, it's like uh, he's trying to make a comparison with. Um, chemistry reactions. He said that because something happened and I cannot、um, undo it. So in, in at the end of the movie, he kind of made a comparison of his life. Like you know, you have a raw egg and the chemistry. If you cook it, you become、mm. like a you know a scramble, a fry, yeah, egg, yeah. and you cannot reverse it. You know, whereas right, right, water、yeah. you can reverse it, but whereas an egg that you cannot. Yeah, so that's my report of this week about what I've been watching and listening. It's ah fantastic. So this week's topic, <laughs>、mm-hmm. we'll be talking about leftover woman, ah、uh, slash Victoria. And that is a phrase.、Woman. Yeah, that is a phrase. That is a phrase that we didn't make up. We did not make. We didn't make that up, of course. Yeah, can you explain what that term means, Helen? Okay. Um, so the term "leftover woman" is essentially translated from、uh, Chinese Mandarin "sheng、uh, nu." The term、mm-hmm. is "sheng nu" was coined、uh, pretty much in Chinese-speaking world, and I believe there are similar terms in other Asian countries. Like, for example, in Japanese, I've looked up. It's called "luojo,"、yeah. uh, and、mm-hmm. Korean is called "nonchinjujo." <laughs> so, p- please message us if I say it incorrectly. 
Um, whereas in English-speaking countries, you know, there has been derogatory labels such as spinster, old yeah. maid to describe women yeah. who are unmarried and don't have children. Yeah. I feel like the past episodes we've been like critical of white male, and today this episode we'll be analyzing and take our strike against the Chinese men. And <laughs> <laughs> um, so broadly, in definition of shenni, um, mm-hmm. is leftover woman. Who are usually over twenty seven. I didn't like. This is not the definition from me. You know, you can look up Wikipedia. It's probably there. Uh, depends where you hear the term. You know, some areas define the age differently. So those women who are not married and they are considered as leftovers by the patriarchy um, culture. Uh, insidiously, mm. that cannot coupled with a man. You know, they are often very likely are very independent. Economic, uh, both in economic wealth and social status. The reason that we've um came across with this topic is that because we saw, I think you sent it to me, the link mm. of the op-ed piece in New York Times in February. The New York Times op-ed, um, it's a connection with a documentary film from Independent Lens. Um, mm-hmm. this documentary following uh three young women. About their journey of like or their quest of seeking a partner,、mm-hmm. the short clip that we watched on New York Times follows a young woman, Cho Huamei. So her journey of finding a partner.、Um, so the short clip that we've watched,、um, we see that Cho Huamei, who is a lawyer, and she's been set up through a dating agency, meeting、so、a couple. Sorry, of where does she live? Can you tell us that? I'm pretty sure she lives one of the,、uh, in the one of the metropolitan city, either Shanghai or Beijing. In China. Yeah, in China. Yep. Okay. Yeah.、Continue. So she's in the metropolitan area as a lawyer. She's been set up to meet a couple of men through a dating agency, but she doesn't seem to be too keen. You know, most men that she met was very traditional. You know, rather talking、mm. about romance, they want to have practical traditional path to just to get married、mm. and have kids.、Mm-hmm. And also be dominant in the relationship. There was a one guy that was particularly when she was asking him about his ideal marriage. He said that I want to be dominant in the relationship. And Jesus, yeah.、Fuck. And then the camera follows her of her、uh, visiting her family in the rural area.、Uh, this is where her her parents starting to <laughs> accuse her that the education that she had is actually making her dumb because she chooses not to get married. You know, the father even said that you know,、uh, the law said that you need to get married in your twenties, but now in your your thirties, what's happening with you? Cho insists that she had considered about getting married, but she wants to remain single. The reason being that she hasn't met someone, she hasn't met anyone that she felt compatible. And then her family goes on blaming her of being selfish, only think of herself. You know, there's、uh, towards the end of that short clip, even her sister blamed her. You know the the family was really condemning of her decision of being single. It's just really disheartening. Why I don't understand why do Asian family and also conservative families do this? You know, like they want to drag other people into the marriage misery. You know, it's like、mm. they envy with green of her freedom, and they want to drag. Yeah, they yeah, want, they want her.、Yeah. To be a part of, I don't know, the unhappiness they're encountering. You know, I think it's because、mm. their models of happiness and their ideas of and definitions of what makes a good life have always been structured around those elements of marriage、mm-hmm. and family. 
and the nucleus um, structure of all that. And so they don't understand that there could possibly be any other avenue outside of those structures. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what makes me really angry about that whole culture, that whole system, that whole history and tradition Mm -hmm. of very much not prioritizing your own individual self-agency, but instead prioritizing the family name yeah that's right and the importance of upholding this idea of collectivism against um, individualism Mm -hmm. and here is this woman who is like my age and she's fighting the battles that I'm fighting but you know I live in Sydney Uh, none of my friends none of my closest friends are married none of my closest friends want to get married my um, my female friends Mm -hmm. Um, we get this uh, we get this space this platform for freedom which this woman you speak of, May May um, May May Shenson, not Shenson. Um, what do you call Ni Nisen? Just like May Xiaojia, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, she is so tied up against, you know, these two dichotomies of mm-hmm. her traditional family background and the modern modern world that she has now decided to live amongst. Yeah. And it's just the scene in which you're speaking of where she is, goes back and she confronts her family, her family confront her and she's getting really teary or she cries. Yeah, she cries. I just remember, yeah. yeah, I could, I actually couldn't watch the video twice because I see myself in her so much mm-hmm. and I don't want anyone else to go through that pain, but I see her going through that pain precisely because mm-hmm. finding love is very difficult, especially when you're someone, like I've always found it, really really hard like people uh, people around me always seem to fall into relationships really quickly but for me it's always been extremely galling Mm -hmm. um, and baffling to me how people fall into relationships because I am just someone who can't be with someone like I I don't think I fit into the norms of what it means to be coupled up with someone Mm -hmm. like I need my own space so violently that I something about the way I operate as a human being almost means that I cannot ever be in a traditional couple. Like mm-hmm. w- when I think of um, precedence of the kind of model of relationship I would want is maybe like what Sartre had, um, Sartre had with Simone de Beauvoir. Um, although, you know, they were very polyamorous and I haven't ever experienced um, or dappled in polyamory, so I don't even know about that. But I just mean like, you know, they were never married. They were lovers their whole lives. They never lived together, but they were very much, there was this consciousness that they were, you know, like betrothed to each other intellectually. Mm-hmm. And I really love that. I really love that. I just don't see any kind of models of that around me. So it feels really alienating. I think a lot of this kind of family, like traditional-wise, that they will always use a question that is often weaponized towards the single pe- uh, people. Like they was, they will question their daughter, like usually their daughter, you know, like mm, who is going mm. to look after you. Like I found that question yeah. very silly because what makes you think that when you get married, someone's going to look after your daughter? Yeah. It's most likely yeah. she'll, often, she will be looking after someone else. Yeah, and actually often um, she'll get abused by the husband. Yeah, yeah. That's more common than we care to admit. That's right, yeah. So the turn, um, um I'm just going to quickly go through a, a couple of aspects that I've looked up. And also I will share with everyone about the some of the academic paper 
um, research that has been done on this, um, how do you call it, social phenomena or just a social mm -hmm. um, changes. Okay. So uh, most likely that the internalized social expectation of marriage and motherhood timeline, you know, the idea of having it all is ludicrous and difficult to achieve for a lot of women. You know, it's quite mm. often, you know, a universal issue for most women. Shenni uh, usually would, um, you know, refuse to conform to rigid gender prescriptions or compromise their aspirations implicitly, challenges patriarchal constraint. Again, progressive women are aspire to egalitarian, you know, com companion style of marriage char characterized by mutual affection, compatibility, and also respect. The term senyu has been used as a weapon to criticize women of being too independent, too strong, or inflexible. You know, the, the very conservative idea of women, particularly for Asians, being tender or pleasingly affectionate, you know, wind roll, you know, that is the expectations that <laughs> oh my a God, lot of... Mom used to say <laughs> yeah, that. That's the expectation oh oh. of a lot of, like, still a lot of Chinese men that what they will expect, you know, and they dislike women, have strong opinions, express herself freely. That's why my dad hates me. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I'm not going to make any comments on that because <laughs> I know how much sexist stuff comes out from our dad. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. So the turn has becoming so popular maybe it's less popular now you know people don't take it as a derogatory um, idea but when you first started um, calling women as a senyu it's like a resurgence of patriarchy uh, idea of marriage combined with social service privatization whereas you know in the past um, i'm just looking i looked up a bit of history whereas in past when mm. women have moved into like labor force you know, they have, they will be like childcare provider and things like that. But now with privatization, um, a lot of women, when you want to work, but you've got to consider the fee that is, you know, slowly increasing in childcare. So you really can't have a, like both. You either focus on your career or I'm talking in the sense of, you know, a lot of Asian countries where there's no, um, like a permanent social welfare net for yeah, you to, yeah, you know, absolutely. look after the kids. I mean, that doesn't even happen in the U.S. Yeah, in U.S., of course, yeah. It's pretty much, you know, describing the insecurity of men as well, you know. Um, when women have enjoyed greater gains in workplace, in education, you know, this language of certainly reflects on the um, how the public resistance to shifting gender dynamics because women are moving forward and then mm. um, insane about the men that are just not moving forward at all or actually they're regressing. I've got a paper here. So there's a paper here by Hannah Felshu. It's called Gender, Media and Mismaking, Constructing um, China's Level Woman. So her paper explores how myths in Chinese media of an ideal woman and her leftover counterpart are created and perpetuated with the goal of to understand how the myths transform into tools of social policing and enforcement. You know how the language is a tool of policing and also language can, can assist in constructing women's like fundamental difference. In her study, she looked at three like very popular shows in China and how they use the word shenyu as an indirect mm. sexism to normalize like gender stereotypes. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that you know that the show If You're the One 
Yeah, it's so popular, you know, across the world. <laughs> I think there was a couple of the episodes that where even the host or the guests um, comment that late marriage is pretended <coughs> presented as abnormal and mm-hmm. also that aging is constructed as detrimental to marriage prospects. Mm-hmm. Other two shows that she looked into, they used the word shenu for those women who's like progressive, pro- progressed amazingly in their education. You know, there's even people, there's even women who with PhD, they're promoting the language to degrade the educated woman, you know, mm. and it's not based, what the study, the, the, the academics who wrote this paper, she found that um, the certain new discourse is not based in the democratic or social reality, but serves as a means of social policing. Like in the mm-hmm. line of anxieties about how chan- you know, the changing gender st- uh, dynamics and power structure. She also mentioned, you know, there's a limited, stra- limited numbers of strategies in the, the, the indirect sexism. And perhaps calling woman as a leftover is just an easy scapegoat. Go, you know, through uh, television programs and state medias, and all these culture discussions to shame women into, you know, changing their behaviors and patterns, because you know how we, in China, that they had one-child policy during the eighties, so proportionally there should be more men than women. Whereas mm-hmm. because during that time they had a lot of baby girls that's been aborted or just left to die. Yeah. Yeah. Now they're coming back, you know, using the patriarchy ideas of saying that we don't have enough people giving birth or we don't have enough people coupled up. It's, you know, mm. they're blaming the woman, essentially. Right, right, yeah. Yeah. So uh, the next paper that I have is by In Chen Ji of Shanghai University. Uh, the paper is called Between Tradition and Modernity. Leftover woman in Shanghai. In her paper, she explored the aspects of struggles that women in China making choices of staying unmarried. So there's a couple of reasons that uh, some of the women that express that they choose not to get married sometimes it's not really their personal choices because they just couldn't meet the right person. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting mm-hmm. because when I when I was looking to this social changes in China, I feel like. It's a very similar changes to of the Western countries as well, but it's just gradually happening in Asian country where when you have uh, more educated girls, they starting to have individualized critical thinking and they have choices about what they want to do in their life rather than the traditional way of get married and have kids. And some of them starting to find that, oh, I, I'm very good at my career. Why do I have to have kids? You know, they'll reevaluate the purpose of their life. Mm. But China has been slow, like particularly Chinese men, I think they have been slow in navigating or changing their, progressing their views about it. Yeah. What do you think? Why do you think yeah, that is? I was just going to ask you that. Um I think it's because men are just, I feel like there hasn't been much push to change um, how they think for the men. And and also at the same time, women have 
just thought that oh I'll just take it up all the burdens you know of progressing my career and uh, have kids and then raise the kids look after the household you know and now we have this group of women chooses that they don't want to do that because their idea of marriage is that they want to have like a mutual respect you know and more companionship like relationship rather than she's subordinate to a husband who is pro- probably earning as much as her and she would have the choice like she will have the choice now because she's financially independent that's why she said that I don't need like whereas in the past you know when the men tend to earn more that when you're marrying someone women are the ones that usually are the ones that will be depending on their partner this lead to a very interesting um, discussion with my husband because I was telling him about um, another paper that I saw um, it's written by a professor in University of Macau he's talking about how the ever-changing uh, marriage uh, dynamics in Asia and he was saying that as women progresses that there's like category they have been categorized in quality of women and men was like they he used the he used the a b c d you know there's quality a to quality d um according to their education their wealth and their family background and there's more women moving up to the category a quality but whereas category a men the one who will match will match you know a level quality woman those men will still want to well actually they will prefer the woman that is less educated or have less wealth and you know lower social economics status than them so i'm talking about the men so mm. you left with this high quality woman with high education level and financially independent like they can't like they feel like they can't find anyone that's suitable for them because they don't want to end up in a marriage that they don't talk about anything you know like you said exactly, you want a yeah. relationship that is compatible not only in the practical sense but you want to be compatible in a sense that uh <laughs> the similar <laughs> at least similar you know intellectual level where you can talk about things that yeah. is you know in the on the equal playing field yeah absolutely and i'm brutal when it comes to finding the romantic Mm-hmm. The the people I'm attracted to, um, I I'm attracted to like maybe one or two people a year because there are so few intellectual attractive men in Sydney, mm-hmm. like genuinely beautiful attractive, um, progressive um, left leaning men who are also feminists. Mm-hmm. There are so few of them, mm-hmm. um, and so um, I was I was kind of thinking when you were saying like how men tend to perhaps prefer lower educated or lower sort of um, quality um, women, like if I just use the language of that research paper. Um, I wanted to ask why you think that, but before I do, I, I might give myself a couple of minutes to maybe just verbalise what I think. Yep. Maybe those men feel threatened by those women. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know that in my all through my 20s when I was dating men, if it never worked out, always my, my first thing that my girlfriends would say is, you're too smart for him or he's intimidated by you. And I even had someone in the, my immediate family who I will not name 
but she used to say to me, um, you got to like stop sounding so smart during your dates because you're just going to scare off guys. And I had this really awful moment in my 20s where like I really felt like I needed to dim my own light and to make myself, my brain smaller so that I could find a guy to like me. <sighs> and when I think back on that, um, I am crushed by shame, the fact that I fell for all those ridiculous ideas. Mm -hmm. And I hope I will never think like that again because um, I think the older I get, the more I'm comfortable with the fact that um, I, w I don't settle for anything less and I'm unwilling to compromise. Mm -hmm. And sure, I'm not going to find the perfect guy. There's no such thing. But um, I'm what I value is intellectual mutuality mm -hmm. and stimulation mm -hmm. and that is so rare and it's really sad what's happening in China where traditional men um, are still very much of the mindset that they want a partner who will perhaps kind of worship them mm -hmm. or look up to them or admire them and all those facets to me speaks to a type of man who is in in, in himself and his own heart insecure mm -hmm. Definitely, you know, yeah. like, yeah, like that speaks to if you're a, some if you're a man who is um, unconsciously threatened or intimidated by a particular type of woman who is opinionated, who is extremely articulate and eloquent. Um, you have to, I, I encourage those men. I implore those men to really like ask yourself, why am I finding this woman a, a bit intimidating? Why does she scare me? It's probably to do with the way you've been brought up to see your identity and your subject position as the man as the domineering mm -hmm. and the more powerful um powerfully status driven person in the power in the dynamic between your relationship you know and i think that's such a it's a reality that i hope will slowly shift but you're absolutely right helen when you say that it's weird that men have not been encouraged to change their cultural paradigms mm -hmm. they are still thinking like men some of the men i don't even know how to like categorize them some half or most of them you know they will still consider that the way that it links to how they were brought up as well you know like a lot of parents absolutely that will absolutely. treat um boys differently to girls oh. well i'm gonna oh i'm gosh, just gonna yeah. use the term um 重男轻女. You know, it's like what does that mean? Um, heavy me heavy male, light female. You know, in the case of where the fuck did that come um, from? It's a very prevalent um, uh, usage. Okay, for, so what does it what does it mean? It's a phrase that used as a sexism. Mm. You know, um, to indicate you know the most of abundance of resources and attention is often placed on the boys rather than the girls. You know. And right, it's also right. been expected in a lot of families that uh, boys are eventually to grow up and bring in a daughter-in-law to give birth to many boys again, and whereas yeah. daughters carry on, yeah, the carry on family name. That's right, and eventually for the girls that they are going to marry into the other family and serve her husband's family. And be erased from history. Yeah, it's so sad. But I think in progressing, you know, like feminism movement in Asia, that's why we're seeing... This kind of thing, like Senu is attacking woman who makes choice of that she's not willing to compromise, and to mm. point out, you know, there's something wrong here. You know, yeah. Um, I'm just yeah. gonna take a quote from one of the interview uh, of the paper mm -hmm. in the study that um, one of the teacher who has been interviewed, she's into her late thirties. She said that through her observation of the men that she met, 
she feel like that the man's appearance is usually modern, you know, and his status are modern and he's wealthy, but inside his values are feudal. He would think what yes. woman's role yes. is. He decides what woman's role is and what the mm. man's role is, and he does not treat woman equally. So deep down, I guess a lot of men yeah. do. Like, there's insecurity. I agree with that. Yeah, there's insecurity yeah. for sure, and they are worried about. You know the the power dynamics has been shifted, and they worry about losing stuff. Because I think the way in which the world has been always constructed up until, say, like when feminism started, has been the idea that um, your personhood, if you're a man, is very much predicated on your gender, right? Mm-hmm. And um, your gender predicates that you. Uh, are actively suppressing the other gender. That's what makes you a man. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, like Peggy Augustine talks about this in her book Boys and Sex. Um, the idea of losing your virginity at fourteen or like whenever you lose it is like vital for your manhood. It's like this idea that you need to take something from a woman in order to become a man. Mm-hmm. And you know, but it's double for, standard. Like, uh, whereas for the girl, oh, yeah, absolutely, losing yeah. the virginity, you lose something. Yeah, yeah. it's a shame. Yeah. Yeah, um, but it's that's why I, I I agree with Garth Greenwell where he often when he says um that gender is a form of a system of violence, mm-hmm. yes. and I think it's a violence that's completely very much instructs men to believe that the way in which they move through the world and the and the sort of metrics of value that they inherit from the world is that um, in order to for you to feel like a human being you need to feel like a man and in order for you to feel like a man is a certain aspect of or a certain degree of control over the other sex mm-hmm. and that's what I really really hate mm-hmm. and I think like I, I completely agree with you last year I was completely in love with this guy who Helen you know about the details <laughs> but he seemed very woke he seemed like a feminist mm-hmm. he would go around saying he was a feminist he was a white guy in law and I was so in love with him because I thought, oh, my God, this guy's perfect. But, like, he actually ended up having very deeply hidden misogynistic views about women um, that was shocking to me. Mm-hmm. Really, really shocking. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really, yeah, it's really scary. Sometimes that these woke men, um, I'm, like, putting uh, air quotes around <laughs> these, <laughs> this idea of woke men. Sometimes, like you say, sometimes um, they're actually the most... Um, Dangerous. Dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, because they they have this front, you know, that, you know, they live in Surrey Hills. They're in the, in the West. They have really hipster friends. Um, you know, they go see theatre. They have, like, one token black friend who they, like, message once a year or something. Mm-hmm. And they, they draw this idea around them that they are progressive, but deep down they want to control women. Mm-hmm. And, like, their idea of themselves is I can get woman to do whatever they want mm-hmm. with them mm-hmm. it's really really messed up yeah so in the sense of language um there's a movement of trying to change that the idea of senu. so the the letter sun is practically meaning you know left over and new is mm. woman um mm-hmm. there's a couple of academics that is trying to uh, replace the uh, same phonetic uh, character, but it's a different character. Shen, as in victorious, as in victory. Oh, cool. Yeah, so he's yes, like trying that. to put a like a a lot more positive vibes to it. You know, like calling yeah. them that yeah. um, 
they this uh, this group of women are creating a new identity and roles as an independent woman and critique gender inequality by promoting egalitarian gender relationships in marriage and also some academics are saying that this these women are spearheading you know the in emergement adulthood in china you know they're trying mm-hmm. to renegotiate and potentially redefine the womanhood through making the choices of your for yourself and you know mm-hmm. making new life mm-hmm. new meanings of life and delay marriage or choose not to get married at all so there was a discussion between me and my husband earlier today when we were talking about yeah. like he was asking me what, what, what we're going to talk about on our podcast and i told him then he said that oh okay Will women consider, you know how we mentioned um, the movie Azi last week, where a, a Vietnamese yeah, the good like daughter, a, yeah, male older bride that married into Taiwan, and my husband asked, what happened if the like if it's like reversed, if the woman is so successful, would she be considering if there's a trend of male older grooms and it, it made me thinking it's probably like the differences between how woman and men's expectation in marriage right, As, i mean yeah. i'm saying in the sense of traditional and conservative wise because i'm saying that women like that's been called they're very independent they have their own idea mm. of thinking and their ideal marriage or relationship needs to be like everything they want one person to have functions of um, intellectual compatibility and also uh, sexual com- domestic yeah, labor, and domestic labor sexual and, compatibility yeah that's right all those things yeah, yeah all those things whereas men um they probably just want they want multiple women to fit into those functions as in they don't mind to have a wife and then they have like a mistress outside to fulfill their right. romance desires yeah and then they have a colleague who they can have stimulating intellectual conversations with yeah. and like fantasize about at home yeah while she's while they're fucking their wife sorry i shouldn't have said that <laughs> but that's probably true you know you learn a lot by going to sex therapy <laughs> i learned a lot by going to sex therapy yeah, i learned good. i think everyone should go to sex therapy if you can afford it mm-hmm. i mean i spent a lot of money on it but it's seriously like i learned so much about human beings and like when we talk about sex, we talk about genuinely who we are. Anyway, that was mm. a really strange divergent path I just took. Um, yeah. But I think I think the reason why it wouldn't work in the reverse the way that your husband, Sean, has perhaps suggested is that, yeah, like you said, women want into these women, these strong, independent women, they value intellectual stimulation so mm. highly, whereas the uh, context of Arz and her farmer husband... It was, you know, he just, he didn't need any intellectual stimulation. He just wanted someone to take care of his kids, raise them for free and produce free labor on the farm for him. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. So what I'm saying is that, you know, a lot of this kind of men that um, sometimes, or I don't know, most of the times who possibly choose to have an affair would say that they still love their wife, but they want the wife as a function of like a traditional value. Like serving the yeah. in-laws and raising the kids, and but at the same yeah. time he seeks like the thrills of romance through that woman outside of his marriage. Mm-hmm. And the social acceptance of married woman having an affair is very different compared to men in Asian countries. I think. Of course, yeah. Yeah. When we did a whole pod on adultery, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so fucked. 
Yeah. We should do a pod on polyamory. I'm really interested in that. Oh yeah, we should. We should. Yeah. yeah. Any any last thoughts? I know that there is like a it's a progressive movement in China. Mm. Mm. But I really want to see that, you know, hopefully young men they will start changing their views and oh, perhaps God, yeah. educate themselves about how to progress in a relationship, you know, in a mutual way rather than being the dominant. Yeah. Well, we need yeah. to whole change the whole structure of gender, right? Yeah, that's right. And the right. oppressive forces behind all those things. Yeah. That I think there's it. also a trend like there's a there's also a trend of um women um seeking relationship with younger men because younger men are more progressive. Probably. Yeah. Mm. I can't say yeah. absolutely, but probably. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're more willing to listen, I think perhaps. I've dated heaps of younger men. Yeah. Um yeah, no, it's been Really interesting. This topic is such a massive subject matter and it's very close to both our hearts because it's um, damaging for women, but particularly damaging for Chinese women. And, you know, you and I mm -hmm. both share the same pedigree. Our grandfather was Chinese. Um, mm -hmm. I, I really hope I want a better world and I want I love men. But um, when you love someone or some group of persons, you want them to do better. And I think this is the struggle that I'm really kind of looking forward to in my life to have more conversations with men and mm -hmm. hopefully dis disassembling, dis dis disabling that whole structure of gender. Yeah, of course. Before we go, I just wanted to say, if you're listening, we'd love you to um, hop onto Apple reviews and you know give us a shout out tell us what you like what you mm -hmm. want to hear more of um and rate us because that's really what um is going to change the algorithms when people search for asian podcasts and feminists <laughs> issues and things like that so um yes. yeah make sure you rate us yeah okay it's been a great chat yeah have a good week guys and we'll speak to you next next time yeah bye bye